Hi there, and welcome along to our third financial fair play special where we try and make some kind of sense of the financial goings-on at Sheffield Wednesday Football Club. So, boffins assemble. I'm James Barrett from the Wednesday Week, and I'm in Sheffield, which is what you'd expect. Over in New York, we've got James Allen from Owls and Merrycast. Um, James, it's still kind of warm and humid over here. What's it like over there? It's warm and humid. We've, uh, we're having a British summer in New York. It's, uh, it's delightful. <laughs> uh, we, haven't, we haven't seen rain for at least 24 hours. That's we're crying out for a bit of rain over here. We had a little bit on Monday evening, and it's it's just it's warm, it's muggy, and we're not used to it. You guys are used to it. We're not. We can't deal with it. Um, we've got we've got the one guy that actually knows what the hell he's talking about, Peter Lerman, uh, who is in Denmark. Is Denmark particularly famed for its summers, Peter? Uh, not really. No, it's um, we're more famed for for the length of the night, so you can. Literally be out in the daylight till about eleven o'clock uh, sometimes. Um, but this summer has been spectacular. I think we've we have a, a massive drought going on and it's not rained here in almost for like at least one and a half months now. And every day it's like twenty five degrees and uh, and the sun's out and yeah, a bit a bit like the British. I really don't know what to do with myself. Uh, it's it's like moving to Spain or something. Are you a bit like us now, where you got to the point where you're just like, right, I've had enough now. Let's have a bit of snow for a couple of days. That'll sort everything out. <laughs> yeah, close to it. <laughs> That's the British way. Uh, right then, for the um, before we get going, for the benefit, really, of anyone who might have found us via one particular Sheffield Wednesday fans forum, I thought it's best that we start off and just do a quick hipster check before we get going. So, is anyone currently eating an avocado? No, uh, I, I'm actually just spreading avocado on my face at the moment, uh, James. <laughs> it's uh, it's part of my uh, my afternoon beauty regime over here in the states. Does anyone have a pot of hummus chilling in the fridge as we speak? No, I have. All looking good. Do any of us currently any of us currently sporting a beard of more than one inch in length? I'm definitely not. Oh, yes. I'm stroking it at the at, as we speak. Oh, so I, I've been growing mine for like three uh, three years, and it's uh, it's currently reached one millimetre in length. I'm feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> okay, we're on to the big ones. Is anyone wearing a Ramones T-shirt at the moment? No? Are we clear I'll on that one? I'll be passe in New York, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, we're doing pretty well then. So the final test, James, what are you drinking? Uh, well, this is a pretty intense podcast, isn't it? We're going to get deep into financial matters. So I've actually doubled up. I'm uh, I'm double fisting, as we say here in the US. Um, I've got two beers. Um, a little later on, I'm going to get onto a stronger 7.2% Northeast IPA from Single Cut, which is called Conform or Be Cast Out, which kind of feels uh, appropriate for an FFP podcast, if you think about the uh, the subject matter we're going to get into. But even more appropriate, I'm actually drinking a uh, another Northeast IPA from, uh, from Barrier Brewing Company, which is um, out in uh, Long Island called money um i'm just going to read you the uh the kind of the the can side which goes uh you got money on your mind now hold money in your hand 473 mil and i kind of think they're talking about milliliters not million but you know we'll we'll get into the finances in a second to be exact it smells stanky um piece of advice don't save your money party like a rock star get to popping bottles spray it in the air like you just don't care because when you go through all your money we'll make more chatting um I hope that that is something that we can be talking wow. about in the next hour or so, but we shall see. 
What a way to start. Um, I'm drinking, uh, this is a triple de-hopped, triple IPA. Uh, it's Northern Monk and Wylam. It's very much a British uh, a British beer. Um, it's, it's actually a 10% beer, this, which I'm thinking we're probably going to need as we get going. Uh, and it's called Moobing on Up. That's not moving, oh. it's moobing. Uh, presumably because if you drink too many 10% beers, then you get moobs. That's what I'm, I'm guessing. Um, so, James, you're on seven, 7.2 there. You said your second one. I'm on 10. Peter, are you higher or lower than 10? I'm actually gone for a Chimay Blue, so I'm, I'm on 9, so I'm just, just behind it. But I must say, Sandwich I'm a bit surprised. You, yeah, you're not drinking a sour with uh, all sorts of yogurt and... Uh, and uh, and and fruits in it. I'm a bit surprised, James, but um, I guess I guess you're moving moving on to new stuff. <laughs> it's the uh, it's very much the summer of IPAs, as uh, as James found out while I, when I was in New York and uh, dragged him all over the uh, city drinking them. Um, right then, come on then. Let's get down to business. Let's talk money. We're going to have to do it. I thought actually it might be a good idea. This is the third of these that we've done. It might be a good idea to start off just by kind of having a, a bit of a look backwards at what we roughly predicted in the first two. Because we always make the point, don't we, at the start of these, that none of us are experts. I think Peter has a, a you know a, a pretty solid grasp of the uh, subject because he does a lot more research into it than, than either uh, James or I do. Um, I kind of just turn up, you know, to be kind of the pretty one that just keeps things moving, you know. Um, but it was worthwhile as just having a bit of a look backwards, seeing what we sort of predicted in the past and how close we think we've come uh, and anyone that's maybe listening thinking, do these guys really have any clue what it is that they're on about? That might help just maybe, you know, point people in a direction of whether or not we, we are on the right track or whether we're a million miles away. So um, what what would your take be, Peter? I know it's mostly your analysis that we've we've kind of worked from. Do you think that where things are now is roughly where we kind of said that they would be? Uh, certainly, in terms of uh, the loss that we had in the financial year of sixteen seventeen, um, I think the prediction I made on that was within a couple of hundred thousand of, of the the true number, um, which might be pure luck or anything. I don't know, but um, it's actually not that hard to use the the accounts um, for sixteen seventeen to then then make a prediction about the accounts for for seventeen eighteen and, and nineteen twenty because. The finances of the club don't change that much. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest uh, expense we have is uh, is wages uh, for the players, um, and and we know which, which players are being signed and which players are being sold or loaned out. So so it's it's not actually if you brought it down and, and you do the numbers, it, it takes a while, but it's not actually that hard to to get close to, to something that's uh, remotely a ballpark figure anyway. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, Peter? Because as, as a, a regular listeners to this special will know, P- Peter is the guy who actually really gets the depth of the numbers here. And there's a huge amount of complexity, but the accuracy with which you managed to predict the, the financial loss, which is different to the uh, FFP reported loss, of course, uh, was inuring. So um, I'm, I'm a strategist by profession. I therefore disregard numbers and I just look at general trends and, and you know, make a few things up to uh, to try and help people understand. But, you know, in recap, what we basically said was Wednesday couldn't afford to keep on making the same losses that they've made the last two seasons without breaching the profit and sustainability regulations, right? Um, and we said that that would very significantly limit our ability to, um, to essentially ex- exist within the transfer market this summer without significant outgoings. And so far this window, we've seen outgoings and no incomings. So I think not only are you right on the numbers, but you're right on the trends as well. 
obviously there are a lot of numbers that we're going to talk about throughout the course of the uh, the next hour or so. Can I start off by kind of asking, and, and, and maybe this is a question to, to both of you with your kind of, you know, respective knowledge in, in, in kind of, you know, this, this sort of area. Um, there's been a lot of talk, a, a bit of a rumour that started just before the weekend about whether or not we're actually under a transfer embargo. Now, we're kind of in slightly uncharted waters in a lot of way in, in, in terms of where things are now in, in the third year of the rolling profit and sustainability model. Um, normally, of course, the, the, the EFL would announce if a club's under a transfer embargo, but this is not quite the same sort of uh, sort of situation. So, Peter, do, do you think we're under some kind of transfer embargo? Is it even possible for us to be under some sort of transfer embargo if it hasn't been announced? It is possible. Um, but, I mean, it doesn't really, in, in some ways, it doesn't really matter because uh, whether you're under transfer embargo or not, uh, I mean, I mean, the, the the technical thing side of it is whether you can register a player uh, for your squad or not, um, and that doesn't really make any difference until we start playing league games. So until the uh, the league games start, it doesn't make a difference. Um, so, so we might, like in a functional sense, be under a, a, a transfer embargo at the moment, um, and and I, I certainly think we are looking at the numbers and looking at at how much uh, of a of a financial hole we have to fill uh, with the. With revenue and and safe wages um, on players going out, um, so so I mean, for all intents and purposes, you could call it a transfer embargo. You couldn't. It doesn't really make a difference. It's I mean, and you miss the ball if if that's what you're looking at and that's what you're focusing on. And there's been this discussion with uh, with other clubs as well, um, Birmingham uh, in particular. But after Gary Monk makes some some comments, um, because they've they've signed a player um, from from Germany and and they they have still haven't registered him, even though this they announced the signing a, a few weeks ago. So it's likely that at the moment the EFL, what they're doing, are filtering through the um, the accounts that we have, and then looking at the the, um, uh, the projections we've made for, for the accounts for 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 17, 18, and also for 18, 19, and, and maybe even uh, 19, 20. And what we have to do then is satisfy the EFL uh, to the degree that they think, with the projections uh, uh, put together with the the actual accounts we have uh, delivered, that that the uh, the rolling three year. Loss is no more than, than 39 million pounds. So we, we probably told the EFL, this is going to be our wage bill, this is going to be our income from transfers, uh, and this is going to be our, our our spendings on transfers for the next two seasons. And then we have to meet those targets before the the EFL says, okay, we we satisfied. Um, you can go ahead and and um, and use that plan. Um, and until they do, we're probably in a similar sort of situation to to Birmingham. And 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 the rumor was before the weekend anyway. That, that up to six clubs were in a similar situation that wasn't a, a real embargo, so to speak, but more the EFL saying, uh, you're close to getting there, but we, we, won't, uh, we won't place you on, on, on an embargo uh, because we, we believe within a few weeks you'll be there uh, and be in a situation where, where you can, can, can register players again um, for your squad. So that's, that's probably where it's at uh, as far as I see it. And that, that's, I, I really find that interesting because what, what people have been speculating around is that there's this hard line of embargoes. But what you're describing, Peter, is that Wednesday are one of a, a you know, pretty sizable handful of clubs that are actually just in a similar situation in that if they were to uh, try and pursue their previous strategies in this transfer window, they would clearly make significant losses again and would breach all of the regulations so they have to first prove to the EFL that they're moving in the right direction before they're able to trade which pushes a lot of activity for a lot of clubs into the back end of the window 
And I guess it, it you know explains a lot of what we're seeing at the moment in terms of the steps that Wednesday are taking. So, you know, if you translate those numbers that you just described into action, so you know, to reduce the wage bill, we clearly have to get high wage earners off of our. Uh, books for the season so hence Jordan Rhodes moves to Norwich um, we need to obviously bring some uh, transfer fees in when we get a bid for a player like Jack Hunt in the last year of his contract that obviously provides us a source of income those accumulate to the point where hopefully you satisfy the EFL and you are then able to have some flexibility for player registrations but probably not until the back end of July it's probably worth us making the point here isn't it for, for anyone that doesn't know because you know we, we've, we've talked about this before about when when the rules changed, so we we talk about financial fair play, um, but it, but it changed, didn't it? A few a few years back to this profit and sustainability model, which is run over a a rolling three year period. So there may be people that don't quite understand why things feel so much different this summer, but it's because we're in this kind of this third year of of a rolling three year um, uh, kind of period where, where, where you're allowed to make kind of a total loss, which is why when we talk about being in sort of uncharted territory and untested waters, it's because the... The EFL have you know a number of kind of things at their disposal to, uh, to to either punish clubs or to stop clubs getting themselves into a situation where they breach financial fair play. But it's the first time that we've ever really seen whether or not they you know actually do any of those. And we've we've talked before about uh, Peter. You mentioned didn't you about the fact that the, the EFL have the power if they want to block a transfer going through if they think that it's going to mean that a club in the future will breach. Um, financial fair play. I guess what this is doing is answering that question for us that they are certainly likely to be carrying out that that threat now. And if they do feel there's a club that's that's close to it, they'll they'll stop the registering players. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, the, the, the biggest change in in, in the new uh, profitability and sustainability uh, rules uh, is a lot easier to say FFP, by the way. <laughs> Um, the biggest, the biggest change in, in the rules, um, and they were effective from 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 the season 16, 17, is that the limit you can, uh, the, the limit of losses you can you can make over three years, is a lot higher, uh, and it allows Premier League clubs to have higher uh, clubs that are relegated from the Premier League to have higher losses as well. And but the the, the most crucial thing is the. Um, the, the, the discipline, uh, disciplinary decisions they can make uh, in the EFL uh, towards clubs that break these rules um, are a lot harsher because they refer to um, to, to the uh, to the to the rules they can they can use in, in all other uh, instances like if, if a club has um, I don't know if, if there's a massive pitch situation or whatever or, um, or or whatever or someone goes into administration and stuff like that they can they can deduct points and that sort those set of rules are now being are now the rules that they can also put in place if, if someone breaches FFP. So it's not just, I mean, before 1617, in the old FFP uh, world, so to speak, uh, there was only the transfer embargo, and that's that's terrifying enough for some clubs that they can't sign new players, but but for some clubs, they weren't under transfer embargo for more than, more than a season, and it didn't really hurt them that much. But the problem now is the, the EFL can, the, not that they won't, but they can, uh, Using the rules they have, for instance, tell us that if you sign, if we spent like thirty million pounds on players this summer, and they went to us and said, "Well, okay, uh, you've, you've clearly broken FFP," and and in in the old world they just say you can't sign, sign any more players, and we'd be like, "Okay, what do we care?" But this season they could actually tell us that you might get eighty points, you might uh, finish in a, in an automatic uh, promotion spot, but we'll deduct 
20 points from your from your points so you'll finish in, in 11th position instead so they can actually stop us from being promoted to the premier league uh, if they want to um and i mean there's that's like the nuclear option um uh, which can actually go even further they can actually um refuse to to register a club as as an active club in in the efl so that basically means we can't compete in any efl L competitions um and, and and the thing is, the clubs that get promoted to the Premier League, they're still bound by the rules um, while they're in the Premier League, so to speak. So they can't just, uh, like like Bournemouth have done and other clubs have done, pay pay a big fine, uh, QPR as well, uh, because that's the old that's the old rules uh, when when the fines were handed out. The new rules instead, you, the clubs are actually bound by the rules um, while they're in the Premier League. So so if they come back down, the EFL can actually tell that that club. Well, you clearly broke FFP to get promoted. Now we're not going to register you as a club in the, in the championship, so you can't compete. So <laughs> basically, for all intents and purposes, that club has uh, been dissolved. So, Peter, uh, I mean, that, that, that example of Bournemouth is really telling because there was a lot of furore a few weeks ago when their fine, which you know obviously relates to the spend that they incurred in the EFL before they got promoted several seasons ago, was announced. And I forget the exact number, but it, it was about £5 million, pounds, right? Um, you know, for a Premier League club, that's water off a duck's back. And there was a lot of protests that, you know, that's not going to hurt them, that, you know, they, they, they basically got away with it. What you're saying is it's not possible to get away with it anymore because if you incur, if you break the FFP or the Profit and Sustainability PNS um, thresholds, then it's quite possible that you won't actually realise the promotion that you might achieve as a result of those. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously a, a reaction to what uh, especially QPR did uh, in, in completely flaunting the rules. Um, so it's you could call it like the nuclear option um, because it's not it's it's working as a deterrent, a bit like nuclear weapons in many ways. It's not supposed to be used, but it's supposed to deter you from from doing certain things, which in this in this case being massively overspending to uh, to win promotion for the Premier League. And it's even more active than that now. So, you know, the, the discussion we've had for the last five, ten minutes has really been about the fact that Wednesday aren't even able to trade and potentially even register players because of the position that we're in in year three of the uh, of the regulations. So even if we wanted to take the, you know, to really challenge that nuclear option and, you know, kind of have a bit of a Cuban missile crisis of, uh, of escalating spending, the EFL presumably wouldn't allow us to register those players. So we'd be spending money without being able to realise their potential. Yeah, we'd, we'd be playing paying wages for players we couldn't uh, actually play in games. Yeah, that's exactly it. We're, we're quite familiar with that, to be fair. I think the uh, the name <laughs> is Alvin Abdi. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, I think, that's a good point. <laughs> do we, 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 we sum this up, and this is a point that I've kind of struggled a little bit to get across to a, a, a few people, is that this kind of idea of, oh, just go for it, just spend what it takes, get us there, and we'll worry about the fine when we get there. That that option just doesn't exist anymore. the The idea of, of of just thinking, well, let's just break FFP and we'll take the punishment. That that isn't a, a, a policy anymore, is it? You just you just it, it's not even worth thinking about going down that route now. Basically, you know, this is you have to comply, don't you? You do, yeah. and, and we're bound by what we've done as well. So you know, pe- people who think that way think, well, you know, let's just start afresh and start spending again. We can't do that because of what we've done for the last two years and the way that the regulations have changed, as Peter's just described. So, you know, when people look at, you know, Nottingham Forest down the road spending money, they're able to do that because they've essentially not spent that much for the last couple of years while they've been under an embargo themselves. So you're kind of creating this, you know, for want of a better phrase, boom and bust scenario whereby 
you know, you, you go under embargo, you can't do much for a couple of years, you have to settle for relative mid-table mediocrity or worse. Um, but once you come out of that and you've maybe not made a particularly significant loss over a couple of years, you really can have another run of it, a la Wolves of last season. Um, the difference is Wednesday are, you know, we're two years into a spending project which didn't bear fruit. So now we've got to offload those costs, comply for a couple of years before we're, we're ever going to have the opportunity to spend big again. What what I find quite interesting about the whole thing is that we're going to kind of settle into this weird cycle of clubs now, where you've got you know like like this year Forest having not spent that much for the last few years and actually sold quite a few players, they're the team that are really having a go this year because they've got a you know a relatively clear sort of loss that they're allowed to to make right now. In in a couple of years' time, hopefully we've balanced the books a little bit, uh, and and it's our turn to have another go at it. When maybe if Forest have failed to get into the the Premier League, they're the ones that are having to kind of retreat and 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 save money. So you, you're going to kind of see clubs going these cycles of having a pop, then having to really kind of claw back and and and, and save some some money before they can have another go at it. Um, but there's there's a problem there though. Um, it is when when you, you you have had a go at it um, because transfer fees are amortized. That is, they're spread out over the uh, the the length of the contract of players. Um, if you spend a lot in one year, the the spending you've made will show up in the accounts in that year, but also the year after and the year after again. Um, and our problem is even when we were playing, uh, we had Stuart Gray as manager and, and Mandarich as. Um, as chairman, and, and we weren't signing in place, we were selling uh, Antonio, for instance, to, to finance the club. Even when we're doing that, we're still making a loss of, uh, of around uh, four, five, six million pounds. So, we, um, and, and I mean, our wage bill now is more than double what it was under Stuart Gray. So, it's not really an option for us to, to like rein it in and get, get, get to a, a place where we actually uh, make a small profit, even, or just a, a tiny loss. We're going to be having to carry some quite significant losses. For the next few years, even if we cut the costs, which we are doing at the moment, and I think I think that's important for people to understand. It's not like you you you. It's not like you you uh, you you floss your teeth the the uh, the week up to going to the dentist, and then everything is fine. Uh, you have to keep flossing, so to speak. Um, and we it's not like you you clear out the decks and, and then we, we we're good to go again. Um, we we've had our shot, and if we want to take a similar shot, which I'd I'd actually advise against. It's it's it'll it'll take more than a few years. It'll take three or four years before you you've you've offloaded all the the high earners, and then you're left with a squad which is basically four or five of the first team players we have at the moment, and the rest of them of them are youngsters and free transfers from from the lower lower leagues. That's that's wow. the thing we're into. Blimey, Peter. I mean, I, w- I was feeling slightly stressed coming into this podcast. You've now mentioned the dentist um, and flossing. So with that, I'm going to open my comply or die. And uh, and I suppose that the obvious question is. Uh, it sounds like we have to comply and, uh, and go through a thorough dental hygiene regime. Um, how, how are we doing? Well, there are a few black spots in the teeth, uh, so to speak. I mean, we've um, we obviously sold Jack Hunt and we've loaned out roads, which are both um, from a financial point of view and from the point of view we're in this situation and we have to do something. Both really, really clever uh, moves we've made. I mean, it's very encouraging that we're making those sort of moves because Hunt is... Um, is getting on age-wise, um, and he was in the last year of his contract, so to get something from transfer-wise was, was a, a clever move. Rose, if we sold him, we'd have to um, to put all the the, the, uh, the transfer fee we pay, paid for him uh, into the account, so we'd actually make a loss in FFP terms if we sold him. So loaning him out is, is really clever as well. Um, and, and, I mean, even after we've done those two moves, uh, we're still looking at 
for for the season that ends this year. That's that's eighteen nineteen. We're still looking at having to cover uh, an FFP loss or PNS loss of uh, of around nine million pounds. Um, we've satisfied the uh, the we probably satisfied the the accounts for the for the period ending in in, in seventeen eighteen. Uh, I mean, if you look at the numbers, that we're around zero for that period. Uh, that that means having a a loss for those three years um, before um, of of uh, thirty nine million. So we we're just at the limit for that period. So that there's there's no problem with the past. The problem now is the projections we've we've submitted to the EFL for the 1819 season and the 1920 season. They're going to have to show a lot of cost reduction to to be able to to stay under the the limit of 39 million for for, for three rolling years. And as I said, it's nine million the the hole we have to fill, so to speak. So. It's not a case of okay, we've sold Hunt. Okay, we loaned our roads. Now we can sign place. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. Not, not at least not when uh, I'm looking at the numbers. It's we still have a hole of of uh, of uh, nine on uh, nine million pounds to fill. And I mean, there, there's several ways to do this. Uh, we could lower our expenses um, and we can increase our revenue. Basically, that's that's the two uh, that's the two main uh, main ways to do do away with the with the loss. I mean, low expenses. We've already done that by by selling a player uh, and getting them off the wage bill, and they're similar with the, with with roads as well. Um, and then we could also cut back on stuff. I mean, there might actually be a, a more uh, more terrible reason behind us not going on a, on a on a preseason training camp abroad. Uh, it could actually be a cost cutting uh, operation uh, from from Chancery. Um, and the other option is increasing revenue, and and I mean we've we've probably done what we can with tickets. We've we one of the highest uh, we have one of the highest gate receipts in 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 the uh, in the entire championship. Um, um, and and I mean on the commercial side of things, we, we're still lagging a bit behind some of the other clubs, but it's it's only to the tune of a few million. Uh, we could probably uh, uh, get get more uh, get more from from uh, from from commercial uh, revenue. Um, so, so the, the thing that's left in increasing revenue is selling players for transfer fees, and you have to have a player with uh, some sort of future ahead of them to be able to sell them for transfer fees. So, a lot of the older players we have, um, like George Boyd and, um, and David Jones, for instance, or Stephen Fletcher, they're not going to be likely to fetch uh, a, lot, a lot of money, if, if any, in transfer uh, fees. We'd probably we'd probably be happy to just uh, get them all, the, the wages off the books um, if someone picked them up for a free transfer, which in the Fletcher's case, has been rumoured uh, with the with the Panathinaikos uh, link. Do, do, Peter, do you mean that Panathinaikos are not likely to give us ten million pounds sterling for, uh, for Stephen Fletcher? <laughs> yes, I've I've done the numbers, and it looks like they won't do that. <laughs> darn, darn. Well, that, that Ooh, would, we're relying on that one. That that, that was our get out of jail free card. Blood. Yeah, God damn it. Yeah. So is so, the, uh, the 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 kind of the conclusion to what you're saying? Is, is it inevitable that we are going to have to sell, what, at, at least one, maybe more, of, of what we would class as being our star players? Is there any way around that? That depends. I mean, that's, that's always the, the, the answer to a question. That's complex, isn't it? It depends. Um, it depends on whether we want to recruit players this summer uh, and pay transfer fees for them and, and buy players that will have not high wages, but still wages in the uh, region of like 12, 15 million, uh, sorry, 12, uh, 12 to 15,000 pounds a week. If we want to do that, then yes, I can't see a way around having to sell um, a, a, a player that will fetch a lot of money. Uh, there's a way around it. I mean, if, if we can get farmed, uh, some, some, people, some of the players farmed out on, on loan, for instance, like we've done with Rhodes, 
I mean, Amanapti is, is quite a, is, is quite obvious, um, but also George Boyd, Stephen Fletcher, David Jones, um, and then you have the, uh, and then you have um, uh, Sam Winnell, who, who we imagine Derby would buy, but Derby are probably in a similar situation to us uh, at the moment, not being able to pay pay money for for players. Um, but there are, might be other clubs that want to pay money for for Sam Winnell, um, and he's still a few years, but got a few years a few years back on his uh, left on his contract so so he he could fetch a decent fee of around three and a half four million pounds uh, on top of of his wages going off the books so if we do those sort of things um we're going to get quite quite close to i mean if we, we get rid of fletcher if we get rid of abdi of boyd so winning for about around four million pounds then we're quite close to covering the whole for for for, for, for the um, for this financial period uh, the whole of nine million pounds so let, um, let me play a hypothetical game with you peter yeah. here um so I'm going to play a bit, a bit of a kind of the, the negative naysayer to that strategy, which is even if we get Stephen Fletcher off our books, which clearly would be an advantage given the size of his wages, but they're, they're rumoured to be about £30,000 a week, right? So yeah. over the course of a year, that means we get about £1.5 a little bit more um, off of our wage bill. Now, that obviously pales into insignificance with selling a player, not Stephen Fletcher, for £10 million. But we do have some players who... Um, who potentially could command that sort of transfer fee. So um, I'm speaking to a Dane and a Brit, and I'm in America. So this is sort of like a mini NATO alliance. Imagine we're in a boat with world leaders. We've got to throw one of them overboard, and Donald Trump is not on board. Um, which you know, which players actually could command those fees? You know, the kind of the alternative strategy, if you will, to that sort of best-case scenario that you've just described. I can't look past Forrest Jerry, to be honest. Um because of his goals, because of how he, re- he came back from injury. I mean, Winnell has been injured. He's still injured and recovering. Uh, Fletcher is still injured. So it's harder to get rid of players that, that are injured. But but for Jerry, short towards the end of the season, he scored something like six goals, nine games, didn't he? He showed that he, he's he's probably back to, to, to as good as he was. Um, and the thing with Jerry as well is his contract uh, expires in 2020. So... Over the next year, we're going to have to consider whether we'll we'll renew that contract. Um, and if we get into uh, into the nineteen twenty season without having renewed his contract, he can move for free uh, a year after that. Uh, and we really don't want to get in that uh, position. So, I mean, again, the clever move would probably be to loan him out and and demand and command a, a sizable um, loaning fee uh, for him, um, because then you get him back uh, a year after. And and if you if we're doing better financially or I don't know if we, some in some miracle uh, world, have have managed to get promoted. Um, we'd be able to take him on again and give him a new contract, no problem. Um, but instead of selling him, we might actually get more out of uh, of loaning him out because then we don't lose the player, who's he's obviously one of our, our key players. Um, and his age is is quite decent as well. I mean, he's he's getting for an attacking player, he's getting towards uh, uh, towards uh, the, the latter stages of his of his peak. Um, uh, because the alternative would probably be selling someone like Barry Bannon. Um, the problem with Bannon is his contract is up in, in in the next summer, so we haven't got one year left of him. That would actually depress his price uh, quite a bit, as it happened with Jack Hunt. Um, so we, we'd not probably not get a, a fair market value for, for Barry Bannon because of that, and maybe also because other clubs know we're, we're under pressure to, to balance our books, so, so they'll offer us less. Um, so, so I mean, if if I, I were looking at this, and I, I didn't want to um, to like to 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 make a lot of small moves to um, to fill the hole, and I just wanted to fill the hole, uh, financial hole, once and for all, I'd probably loan out uh, Forrest Jerry, um, 
and and maybe get something like three or four million um, loan fee for him because if he's if he's anything around ten million pounds in transfer fee, that's probably a fair loan fee for him for a season. So to use a, a clumsy geographic analogy, you're pushing the Prime Minister of Italy, who I can't remember who it is because it changes every six months overboard, and uh, and hoping to hang on to uh, to a few se- senior members of the European coalition. Um, James, you, you obviously... <laughs> um, we, we haven't really heard your dulcet tones on this particular subject. If you had the same challenge of you know one player that could command a fee that we could do potentially without next season, do, do you have a view on that? It's so hard, isn't it? I mean, um, I, I think the Forestieri issue is an interesting one because we've all, you know, the, the, there was our time with Forestieri started off like, you know, any great relationship starts off. Uh, and when it hit its first hurdle, which we all remember, Norwich away, um, when, when he refused to play. And, you know, he, he did come back strong last season. It's always felt to me like I'm never, I've never really been absolutely certain whether or not our relationship is is repaired, or whether he is thinking about you know who is going to move on to next, um, and that might be unfair. This is just based on on kind of my thoughts. You know, if if we put a new contract in front of Fernando Forestieri now, is he going to be interested in signing it, or has he concluded that you know when when the the time's right, he's going to move on? Um, if and I hope we do have that conversation with him. If he is intending to move on when his contract runs out, then we should be looking to to, to try and get as much money as we can for him, basically as soon as possible. And 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 I know that's kind of you know kind of throwing the promotion dream out of the window, as some people will say. At the moment, I'm not really thinking about promotion. I'm just thinking about you know how how we keep the club you know financially fluid in in terms of profit and sustainability. Um, so for me I'd be looking towards Forestieri as someone that I think might want to leave anyway Uh, the other players that we've got that realistically could could bring in you know half decent fees uh, and you know we saw players like Van Aken last season who made a really good start and you think you know he's going to be worth double what we paid for him uh, in in, in the not too distant future but of course he picked up an injury which was story of the season so um, you know maybe that's not really a place we can look um, Adam Reach had a pretty good season after you know maybe a fairly average start to his Wednesday career. He really started to shine last season. He's someone that I think could bring in bring in money. He's not someone that I'd be particularly pleased about as as looking to to to, to sell. Um, and another player that I did think last season, particularly with with his age, um, Lucas Zhao really showed what he can do. Uh, is he someone that could command a, a, a decent fee in a position of the field where we've, we, you know, we, we we know that we've got quite a few uh, players in in those attacking positions? Is he someone that we could live without if we are in a situation where we have to sell someone? Could Xiao bring a decent amount of money in? Well, Xiao's contract is also up in a year, so that will also automatically depress his price, unfortunately. Um, there's there's always a factor to 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 weigh in this is whether. Um, I was I was well, just trying to make myself feel positive there, Peter, and you just come <laughs> along and throw my theory out. Yeah, I'm a party pooper. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so Panathinaikos aren't like going to sign Lucas Schwau for uh, a, a ten million pound fee either. God yeah. damn it! What's going on with the Greek economy? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah I don't know. I'll have to make another spreadsheet to to, to make that up then. Yes, Peter, as as a, as a tactic right now, should we be looking at players like Forestieri, Zhao, Reach? The players that we know can can ultimately bring in a decent transfer fee. Should we be putting a new contract under their nose now? Um, the 
problem with Forestieri though is he's he'll be what 29 in January I think so at the end of his contract he's going to be 30 going on 31 um, and for someone who plays in his position and his strength is also his his speed uh, not not in raw pace but his speed on the ball and it's it's not uncommon for attacking players to to begin waning in their in a, in a career sense, um, when they reach the age of age of uh, thirty, and he's already had, had a big injury as well. So I mean, uh, there's actually the, the question: Do we want to do we want to extend the contract of Forrest Jerry beyond him being thirty years? Is he as a good player in two years as he is now? We don't actually know. And and by giving him a new contract, we're going to be spending a lot of the money we we we'd have on new players, and we won't have a lot, almost not have any. Uh, so we, we're spending a lot of our budget on a player we don't know whether can produce the goods two years down the line. Um, so I'd be a bit. Um, it's it's a really tough one, I, I think, and that's probably why I'm verging towards him being sent out on loan and and, and getting a really good uh, loan fee for him. And we probably have to wait until around the end of the transfer window uh, for that to really materialise, because then clubs get get really uh, uh, desperate and and would probably offer a higher fees uh, for for loan player. Um, and what we have to remember is. The end of the loan window isn't uh, just before the season, which is the end of the permanent transfers, uh, uh, transfer windows. Um, the end of the loan window is, is only um, on the 31st of, of August. So, so clubs that didn't manage to pick up uh, a new main striker or, or attacking player before the uh, the permanent transfer window closed, uh, just before the season, will be will will probably be after someone like Forest Jero on on loan. So that might be that might be. The best case for us in 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 a in a, in a world where we have to to uh, to raise money, but I mean the alternative strategy is still for me looking at getting some of the uh, the deadwood off the uh, the wage bill, uh, and then selling someone like Sam Winnell, who who for the 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 value he gives our squad uh, compared to the money he, he could fetch in a transfer fee, it's it's a bit of a no-brainer when you when you're pushed to uh, when you're uh, pushed uh, to having to find uh, nine million pounds. Can I ask you a very general question here, Peter? Um, obviously, it's 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 what seven or eight months now since we brought in our uh, chief exec, which was a position that obviously we've not had filled for for a long time at, at Sheffield Wednesday. We we've known through through the three of us sitting down and you know various WhatsApp conversations that we've had about you know the the, the situation that's going to be looming for us financially, and therefore how good it is that we brought in a chief exec when we when we did. Um, and this is probably a question to both of you: how how positive do you feel in terms of the way that Wednesday are now responding to what is obviously a, a huge challenge for us and will continue to be over the next few few seasons? Um, the the way that we've dealt with it so far, this, this summer, the business that we've 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 done, um, does does it does it give you confidence that we're taking this seriously and that we are in a position where we'll we'll get through it? Absolutely, in my mind. Um, as I was intimating uh, with the comments about selling Hunt and Rhodes, we, we're doing it quite smartly, um, which has definitely not always been the case uh, in the history of Sheffield Wednesday when, when you're talking about finances and and, uh, and players. So, so it looks like we actually have a strategy to get out of it, and then we're executing that strategy. And we're trying to do it a bit uh, like uh, under the, the duvet. Uh, it, it looks like uh, the journalists locally haven't really picked up on the fact that we're actually about to sell quite a few players to balance the books because everyone's still living in, in a world where we, where we think that we, we're about to, to sign these uh, famed three or four players, uh, quality players for the first team that will uh, push, push us on towards automatic promotion next season. 
for me, that is a pipe dream, and it's it's not realistic. But it's not really a question the club has been asked, uh, to be honest, um, for the for the last couple of weeks and, and even from the end of the season. And every time Luca is asked the question, he's 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 actually even better than Carvajal at dodging uh, questions, <laughs> um, which is uh, which is quite something, to be honest. Um, so there's there's definitely something there, and you can see also that that. I mean, another player you could sell, uh, and I know this will bring out some some of the people who have been at me at, at Twitter. But another player that's obvious to sell is Kieran Westwood because he's also in the last year of his contract. Um, and as Luca was saying about Hunt when he was sold, well, we sold Hunt because we have covered that position. We have Liam Palmer, and we have Ash Baker, so we don't actually need more players for that position. Well, and in the goalkeeping position, we have three players, really good players. So. I mean, you should take those comments and, and um, extrapolate them to the goalkeeping keeping position. It's a bit of a no-brainer to sell Kieran Whisper because he's probably the one who will fetch the biggest, highest fee. His contract is up in a year where he will be able to leave for nothing. Um, and he's he's also age-wise getting to, to an age where he's, he's about 35 uh, when, when his contract runs out, I think. Um, so we will we'll, we'll, we'll have to make that decision anyway this season do we want to extend his contract or not and then this is the question do we want to spend some of the, the, the little money we do have on giving him a new contract or do we see that money spent uh, more wisely elsewhere in the, on the squad so, so let's hit on a few of those positives because I, I, look <laughs> selling Westwood might might irk a, a section of the fan base but, but let's come back to your core question James which is you know, we actually have a very capable CEO who, Peter, to you know, kind of coin the phrase you just did, is is doing things calmly and under the radar, but in a way that make puts us in compliance with profit and sustainability. And you know, think back six months to when she was appointed back in January or seven months now. Um, you know, the, the the negativity that surrounded her experience at, at Charlton was overwhelming. But the one obvious reason why Chancery went out and hired her is because throughout that period at Charlton, they were under FFP as was uh, pressure. And she was a CEO who, um, if you put aside the complexities of how the fan base was relating to the ownership, was seeing them through a period of financial instability where they never fell out of compliance. So she's actually proven herself before she even got to Hillsborough as being able to navigate this under duress. So the way she's, um, I think, um, approaching this this whole problem is is really admirable and you have to assume that she has lists that address all the questions that we're asking today you know if, if a bid comes in then would we accept it for um and clearly jack hunt was on that list N- shift to the positive for a second for every nottingham forest uh, as would be and uh, wolves as was there's a cardiff city or there's a huddersfield there's a team that actually manages to fuse and becomes bigger than just the you know the separate parts and becomes the sum of its parts and i think that's where we have to put some trust as well in in Yosla Hukai. um you know he seems calm under pressure in a similar sort of way on the footballing side that if he has the right uh, blend of players he can fuse them into a more effective team and and we simply haven't seen that yet so whether westwood stays or goes whether fessy stays or goes he, you know, you have to trust his judgment that he can work with the players at his disposal. Um, and then come Christmas time, we can make a much more rational uh, assessment of where that leaves us. Um, probably starting from a position of low expectations. I was one of those who was really unhappy about uh, Christine Meir being being appointed a CEO. Uh, but as you're saying now, looking back at it, it makes sense. Uh, that was what Chancery went for. Um, and the other thing is, um, again, to, to hark back to some positives, um, if you look at the season after this one, uh, that's the 1920 season. If you look at the FFP, and if we do cut costs this season, let's say we free transfer uh, Fletcher, we get rid of Apti and Boyd and sell Winnell, um, and we don't make any signings this, this summer, but we do that bit of business to cover the whole. 
then we'll actually have uh, a decent sum of money for uh, for for, the, for for 1920. But we also have to to extend uh, contracts of the players whose contracts are expiring. That's Barry Bannon, Gary Hooper, Lucas Shaw, Kieran Lee, uh, Westwood as well. Actually, if you want to uh, to extend his contract. But even doing those contract extensions next uh, for, for for the season after after the, the current one, we'll still have some money in in the bank to to sign some younger players um, uh, on on decent wages, some 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 lower league players if, if uh, or even players from from the continent. Um, so it's not it's not all black and black. It's just that we we the immediate situation is we have to cut costs. But when you look ahead for the season 1920. There's actually some leeway, but it's not. We're not be able to to sign players for five million and 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 buy players off the promotion rivals. It's going to be smart signing still. Just and that's the reason I was I was getting to the, to this point. Is uh, the Huddersfield route and the Cardiff route is is absolutely correct. You can do it. You can do it on on uh, on, on on what you would relatively call a shoestring budget uh, compared to the the relegated Premier League clubs. The problem is though, as I see it, uh, is. The loan, when, uh, the loan, the loan signings that uh, Huddersfield made uh, were crucial for for that promotion. I mean, Cardiff is a bit different because uh, Warnock has a really good eye for a player. You, you just have to 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 uh, to own up to that, and he's he's done really well at putting my players. But Huddersfield loaned the way to to a really good squad. And what's happening at the moment is some of the big clubs, Chelsea, for instance, and Liverpool, they're all already loaned some of their best younger players out to Championship clubs. So we're missing the party at the moment. And it doesn't really look like we have the, the connections we had uh, under Stuart Gray with, with some of the big clubs. Uh, it's not like we, we're not renowned for a club uh, as a club who, who give uh, young players a lot of playing time and, and who develop them really well, as we were back when, when Ross Barkley, for instance, uh, were, were, were at our place on, on, on loan. So, so even if we want to execute that strategy to to uh, to do a hardest field, uh, uh, so to speak. Um, we we probably woken up a bit too too slowly, and we're not probably not in the loan market quick enough. Um, I fear anyway. But I, 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 I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot of players, and and, and our, the hope we can cling onto is that when the Premier League clubs finalise the 25-man squads uh, for the new season, there's going to be a few players uh, that are surplus to requirements. And I mean, that's how we signed uh, Forestieri. That's how we signed uh, Pudil. That's how we signed Barry Bannon uh, back uh, back in, in in the in the heyday of 1516. Uh, because they were surplus to requirements at uh, and Gary Hooper as well, surplus requirements at, at the Premier League clubs. So there's a chance still that we can get some decent players in on loan. Um, but I'm just saying that there's there's it's not as it's not as easy as as, as doing a Huddersfield. Um, and we probably require um, someone who's who's more intelligent in, in the transfer market than what we've seen so far. Because the only only role of the dice we've seen from um, from Lukai is, is signing Pelopes, and that's a decent signing, but. I mean, he's, he's, it's, it's not a signing that propels you uh, into a, prom- a promotion form like uh, Aaron Moy was for, for Huddersfield, for instance. In fairness, I think um, Joey Pelopesi's arms could propel you pretty much anywhere. I mean, have you seen the size of those biceps? They're, uh, if, if we sign that purely for shirt marketing purposes, I think that was a, that was a good deal. But it, it actually stresses, Peter, the point that, um, you know, we haven't actually seen the Hukai's hand in the transfer market yet. Um, you know, he's had two windows, one of which clearly um, he had very, very little to play with. And I, th- I think personally that Palapesi is going to prove to be a very, very astute signing over the course of time, given the cost that we paid for him. Um, and, you know, thus far this window, he's had no room to operate. And I, I, I do appreciate where you're coming from in terms of not having seen any movement in the loan market yet. But I think a lot of that has to do with the question of how much of, a, of wage flexibility we have. Um, you know, if you're talking about bringing players in from the Premier League on on loan, even then you've got high wage costs to absorb. 
um, you know, players in the Premier League are routinely on the type of wages that a Stephen Fletcher or a Fernando Forestieri are on at Wednesday. So accommodating them into your squad for a year is not necessarily straightforward unless a significant degree of that is being subsidised by the, the parent club. So I think it's reasonable that that probably comes towards the end of the window. But before the, the loan window closes, as you said, at the end of August, that's that's really the, the test of, of this manager and this management team to see whether or not they can conjure up a squad that can challenge in, in a more meaningful way, despite the limitations we've been talking about so far. Um, we've, we've kind of ended on some quite positive thoughts there. Um, I, I, I want to kind of ask you, and I'll obviously bowl in on this as well, what what do you genuinely think we can realistically expect for this season? Because you know we we will all all three of us will have seen people on Twitter that that genuinely reckon that this is the season that we're going for automatic promotion. Uh, we've seen people that uh, reckon it's going to be a terrible season. You know, op- opinion is relatively mixed out there about what this season is going to hold for us. What what do you think is is reasonable? Note the silence, James, which uh, which tells you that there's, it's, there's it's both the trepidation unknown, yeah. and, and a level of deep thought. It, it, it's complete unknown, isn't it? I mean, there is talent in the Sheffield Wednesday squad that, quite frankly, should be able to challenge at the top end of the of the championship. You know, just 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 run off a few of the of the players that we've been talking about throughout this episode. So, you know, we talked about Kieran Westwood, who is one of the best goalkeepers in the division. Barry Bannon, who you know arguably should be playing Premier League football. Uh, you've got Fernando Forestieri, who on his day is unplayable. George Boyd, who's been promoted twice with Burnley, um, you know, was un- unfit, untested last season. But, you know, if, if he has a storm of a season, Adam Reach, who is you know, is coming to the prime of his career. There is the core nucleus of a squad here that could do something quite exceptional for Wednesday. But um, we all know, you know, the constraints and the limitations we've been talking about. And that means that we just don't know what the, the unit as a whole is going to perform like. We we certainly don't have a squad that can survive the injuries that we, we faced last season. And by the way, I've not even mentioned Gary Hooper, who in my mind is still one of the best strikers of the championship if he can get fit. Um, so on that side, you, you, there's, there's a whole host of reasons to be positive if we can hang on to those players you have to temper those with realistic expectations, you know, and, and Peter's been superb at kind of pointing this out in terms of just, you know, our wage bill, even before all of this PNS debacle, if you don't mind me using that word, positions us at upper mid table at best in the championship relative to the teams that have come down from the Premier League and, and teams who frankly have got, you know, more leniency at the moment in terms of their spending. So you're always up against it a little bit. Um, and we just don't know how the, how this squad is going to come together and what the Hukai can do um, with a full preseason. So, I think we have to reserve judgment. I think fans have to reserve judgment. But there are reasons to be positive, but you've got to temper those. And, and therefore, a push for the playoffs, I think, is is probably the upper end of my expectations at the moment. Um, yeah, it's similar for me. Um, I mean, what, what happened at the end of, of last season was a, was a quite significant overachievement um, of, of how we were performing. I mean, we're scoring a lot of goals and not conceding as many goals as we, in quotation marks, should have, uh, considering the chances we made and, and the chances we conceded. So that might either be a fluke, uh, a temporary um, uh, overachievement, but it might also be an indication that this manager, Lukai, is actually really skilled at, as you were touching on before, James, um, really skilled at, at building a team and getting 
uh, more out of the of, of the parts than, than some of them. Um, and I'm clinging to that hope that he's a really good squad builder, and then he he know he knows when, uh, when what he can get from players and how to to get the most out of um, out of the the strengths that the individual players have. Um, I really hope that. And looking at someone like uh, Atenuhu uh, going from 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 basically being a laughingstock to to being our main striker and being probably the most uh, prolific championship striker for the last few uh, months of the season. I mean, similar to Mitrovic in some ways. Uh, and and I mean to be able to do that as a manager is is more than just telling him that you believe in him. It's it's the day-to-day coaching, it's uh, tactical stuff, it's it's also being able to to handle the mentally the, the squad. I mean this squad has had huge problems mentally. It's when we've seen it time and again. But this manager Dulkai looks like he's he's got um, an idea about how to handle a squad's mentality and and uh, how to to get the best out of some out of a group of players. So he's he's again. I mean, it's it's it could be a smart signing. I mean, he's he's still unproven for me, and um, and then that's that's the biggest X factor, biggest X factor. It's not actually the squad, because as you were saying, James, it's 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 actually a decent squad on paper that could do well. But the X factor, the the unknown here is is the manager. How good is he actually uh, when he's not being given a freebie, which he was given last season after he he uh, essentially saved us from uh, the trajectory towards relegation. Uh, this season, there's an expectation on him to to produce results. Not, uh, um, not he's not he's not he's not going to be given in leeway. Is he? If he loses two first two games, uh, he's going to be under pressure already. So that's that's just that's just um, that's that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, what will this manager offer uh, this squad of players? Can he can he con- continue to get more out of them than than he ought to have? And if he can, then. We could be looking at an interesting season where we might actually sneak into the playoffs, but um, I'm still thinking thinking that we'll be around 12th, and and that would be good um, if we get some some youngsters in, get them playing 25, 30 games a season, uh, establish them as as proven championship players for for the season uh, 1920. I mean, if we have two or three of those players, or even four players, uh, young players that that are, are then season pros for the next season, and have cost us nothing, and who are on low wages. I mean that's a, as big a result as, as finishing eighth or, or seventh. Um, so so that's probably my expectations that we'll be able to uh, blot some youngsters and, and make them established uh, in, in the first team. I mean some some great points in there, but um, I do have to say that I I think you're both wrong because back in stripes we're going up, baby. Come on. <laughs> automatic promotion when you return to True. stripes that's the way it works um, Peter you did say there um, Asinuyu and you compared him to Mitrovic uh, who I believe at the moment is just in the process of going to Fulham for £20 million so uh, ergo uh, Asinuyu worth £20 million <laughs> if we sell him that pretty much solves the whole thing so we've just wasted the last 55 minutes we didn't need to do any of this stuff Asinuyu £20 plan, million, right? we, that's we, it we lock him down on a new contract smartly after he has a great run of form at the back end of the season he's going to start the season and absolutely blistering form he's going to be like hat-trick after hat-trick and before you know it we'll sell him in December or January in the uh, January transfer window for like 40 million pounds and Wednesday will be laughing for decades it'll be perfect (laughs) I think we'd all take that scenario there's still be someone there's still be someone that'll moan about it bloody Dave shit yeah sounds like a Dave Rich's uh, sort of uh, strategic plan that though 
I, I, I hold on. Um, no, no one in public is ever going to accuse me of having a Dave Richards strategic plan, nor, uh, <laughs> nor having anything to do with the man who put us in this bloody mess in the first place. So, um, uh, if you're listening, Dave Richards, you're an absolute. There you go, James. Mm-hmm. Blink that out. Yeah, we'll we'll edit that bit. We'll edit that bit. Um, all right. So, Peter, is there anything else left that that you particularly wanted to get across? The uh, the FFP and profitability and sustainability rules. I need to get that across. That um, I mean, we're talking about them on, the, on this podcast as if it's it's like a, a given and and you can't do anything about it. And we can't. I mean, we're bound by these rules, but we can actually look at the rules and say how grossly unfair they are and and how they're screwing the the entire uh, championship. Uh, and in in essence, these rules are made by clubs that are in the Premier League, being relegated into the championship, and who are afraid that some other clubs will join the party in the Premier League. So they, they essentially form a, a little cartel and keep uh, other clubs uh, out of the Premier League so they don't get a share of the riches. And that's really what FFP is about. It's not about curtailing spending or anything. I mean, why a, a, a club like Stoke will go down after this season, they, they allowed losses of £83 million, where we allowed losses of 38, uh, sorry, £39 million for three seasons. Why do a club that has been in the Premier League with enormous amount of revenue gets us bigger losses than we do i mean and that's just that's just one part of it the ffp the parachute payments that premier League club gets now when they get relegated they get 41 million pounds a season our entire turnover is i can't even remember the number now it's something like 25 million it's it, i mean they're getting twice the money we, we of our entire income they get that in parachute payments uh, it's just a massively skewered structure that we're, we're having to operate under, and it's it is grossly unfair. But, but as James said before, I mean Cardiff did still have some some parachute money, but certainly Huddersfield um, showed that you can, you can actually cheat the system. Even this exceptionally unfair uh, system can be can be cheated, but it's it's certainly uh, a, a, just a, a rare exception to to the rule of uh, the cartel clubs of the Premier League uh, uh, just yo-yoing between the Premier League and, and the Championship and and having I mean the funds to to outspend us all and and uh, and and it's it is it is quite bleak if you look at it like in a, in a four or five year uh, um, perspective because the chance that we can get promoted having to play against uh, a system like that it's just it's just not not a big big likelihood to be honest um, and that's that's the most frustrating thing is it is how these rules have been put in place to to stop clubs from going out of business but there aren't any clubs that are struggling for, for funds. All the clubs that are spending a lot of money have wealthy owners behind them. And the clubs that are being put up for sale in, prim, in, the, in the championship, they get sold within months. Uh, it's quite attractive to buy a, a championship club for whatever reason. I don't, I will, I'll never understand. But it's not actually a threat to the clubs. We aren't, aren't actually threatened in our, our lives. It's the clubs in the championship. But still, this system is put in place not to keep us from spending ourselves, ourselves into oblivion, but to keep us from being promoted to the Premier League and getting a part of the riches that all the other uh, cartel clubs uh, uh, are having in the in the in the big manner, and that's really frustrating for me to look at. Uh, and that's why I've, I've been looking into this system because, I mean that, that yeah, it just get, gets worse. The more you read about it, it, gets it gets worse. To be honest, I mean I I very much doubt that this is the uh, the last of our financial fair play specials that we'll be uh, that we'll be doing. I imagine we'll be sat here in about five years' time, still saying the same kind of stuff. That maybe now's the time to sell Kieran Westwood, you know. 
Um, Peter, I mean, hopefully we're going to be hearing uh, more from you over the course of this season on the Wednesday week. You're going to be joining us a little bit more regularly. In the meantime, should anyone want to track you down and um, follow your your various kind of sums and and analysis that you do on on Twitter, uh, whereabouts are you? I'm at at P-L-O-E-H-M-A-N-N. Thank you. Um, James, any, any kind of closing remarks from, from you and what can we expect from the Owls Americast in the season ahead? Uh, my uh, my closing remarks are that both of my financially related beers went down exceptionally well. So uh, given it's only four o'clock in the afternoon in the US, I'm, uh, I'm set up for a good evening, which is great. Um, yeah, I mean, look, what, what Peter just said, you know, bears a lot of truth in terms of the, the ridiculousness of this system, right? We've got a We've got a committed owner, um, and I think that 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 really does bear repeating. Chansiri is not a fly-by-night owner. He he's in it for the long haul, as far as we can tell, and, and I think he's beginning to really justify that claim with his actions. And if he could, he would spend what it takes to put us right at the top end of the division. He can't because of the the regulations. Those regulations are not fair. It's not a level level playing field. And you know, for the next couple of years, Wednesday are going to have to adapt to that. And we may be able to break out of it. We may um, we may have to suffer a couple of seasons of Con, you know, comparative mediocrity compared to what we've uh, what we've experienced for the last couple of years. But he will get us there. Um, the regulations, I think, will increasingly be shown up to be as ridiculous as they are. And I have to hope that you know, in a, a free market economy, that will um, that will start to moderate. I mean, the 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 opposite option is to institute a salary cap like we have in some of the leagues here, and that um, is a proven model not to uh, to work particularly well. So, you know, I. I'm hopeful that Wednesday will break the mould. Um, if not, we've got to bear with it. But um, you know, that's the uh, that's the spirit of being a Wednesday, isn't it? Nothing ever comes easily. So um, for Owls Americas, we'll uh, we'll be covering the season ahead with our usual mix of uh, quite a lot of beer, um, various Americans who've come to uh, to find Wednesday in completely ridiculous ways, um, and uh, and hopefully a lot more from uh, from the American voices over here. We're uh, we're swelling in numbers all the time. So uh, look out for more Owls Americas. And otherwise, I'll be at Manhattan Owl on Twitter. Uh, usually uh, trying to be optimistic despite the uh, the prevailing evidence. I, th- I think that last line, James, kind of sums up exactly what, what I was going to say, which is there's so much of what we've talked about uh, this evening that, that kind of, you know, at, at various points I've slumped further and further back into my chair, not helped by the 10% beer, I should should probably add, um, and, and, and kind of thought, you know, what, what a kind of a really sort of dismal situation it, it is. But then... To, to, certainly towards the last half hour, some of the stuff that we've we've kind of touched upon about the real positives about the way the club's been run now, the effects of the chief exec and, and, and various other things and, you know, the way that other clubs have, have kind of, you know, defied the odds to do it. Um, you know, we, we just don't know. And that's the great thing about uh, a close season, isn't it? Going into a new season is that you just don't know. You know, you might, you might have an idea in your head what you expect from this season. I think I'm probably the same as you two in terms of the fact that I probably... You know, I'm 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 braced for I I, I sort of expect it to be a, a season of being mid table, you know, a very mediocre season. Uh but football's got this amazing ability to surprise us and um that can sometimes surprise us in quite a negative way as it did certainly towards the, the first half of last season. But it can also surprise us in a real positive way. So um, you know, who knows? It might just end up being a great season and it's it's lovely to be at this point where you know, we can kind of cling on to that hope and we can take that hope and look forward to the nine months that that, that lay ahead. Um, obviously, the Wednesday week, 
we, we, we carry on. We'll be back in uh, in a couple of weeks' time with our first kind of normal episode of the season. We might do it next week, but I'm on holiday, which kind of scuppers all that. So um, it will be the week after that. Um, and in the meantime, you can catch up with by various ramblings and um, basic kind of drunken thoughts, because as of tomorrow, I'm unemployed for uh, a week and a bit. So I genuinely will just become an alcoholic for a week, because um, I believe that's what you do when you're unemployed. Uh, so you can catch me at James Marriott. Um, but with that, we'll wrap up proceedings for now. We'll be back with another financial fair play special uh, just as soon as the uh, you know the next developments in this kind of crazy um, uh, world of, of football finances become apparent. Um, and um, yeah, enjoy the season ahead. <laughs> <laughs>